Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I have Kanika Tolver. She's the CEO and founder of Career Rehab. She's based in Washington, D.C., where she helps clients transform their careers with coaching programs, events, webinars, and digital resources to help people reach their career goals. As an in-demand coach, consultant, speaker, and thought leader, she has been featured on CNN, CNBC, CBS Radio, and a host of other media platforms. Kanika is the author of the acclaimed title, Career Rehab, Rebuild Your Personal Brand and Rethink the Way You Work. Now, on this episode, we talk about her 15-plus year tech journey, what being a computer science student at an HBCU was like, her transition from SaaS developer to project manager, and she gives you endless tips on how to be successful in the tech industry. You might want to grab a pen and paper because she drops gems the entire episode. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, make sure to not only rate and subscribe on the platform you're listening today, but also write a nice review so other people can find the podcast too. Now let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm here with Kanika today. Hey, Kanika. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. I want you to take a moment and introduce yourself to my listeners. Okay. My name is Kanika Tolver. I am from the Washington, D.C. area. I have been in the tech space for over 15 years. My career experience has primarily been in the federal government IT space, but I also have left the federal government to go to private sector. I'm a graduate of Bowie State University in Bowie, Maryland, and I have a passion for career coaching, writing, and helping others just thrive within their tech career. And we're going to dive into all of that today. So I want to start with your own personal career in tech. So I went to a PWI and I was in information systems, which is still technology, but adds a little business component to it. Right. I am going to be selfish and ask, because you went to an HBCU, were there other Black women that were in the computer science program? Um, Actually, during that time, it was a good, it was a good um, mix. It definitely was a good mix. A lot of my friends, um, they're still doing amazing things within the industry. You know, by being a smaller school, it definitely was mainly a lot of African-Americans. Um, there were a few um, people that were not Black. You know, we did have a few white students actually in our program. We had a few Asian students. Um, it wasn't that many. I would say it was primarily 90% Black students in the program, but it was it was a good mix of women, I would say. I would say it was probably about 60% men, 40% women. That's cool because when I was in college, I remember there was maybe like one or two other women in the program. And then as a black person, I was like the only person in my program. So I am (laughs) happy to hear that, you know, your experience was different and there was a variety of people within your program. I know for me, going to college, I didn't have no clue, like, you know, what degree to actually take. How did you know to proceed with getting a computer science degree over, let's say, information technology? Or how did you even know that tech was where you wanted to go? I mean, as a young girl, I was infatuated with the internet. 
you know, I was really, in, I really enjoy like AOL Instant Messenger and being on the internet. I enjoy being on like eBay and e-commerce. So I really knew that I wanted to get more into web development, application development at that time. I really never knew much about the information systems track. I knew that when I went to Bowie State University that they had a computer science program and they had a um, computer tech program. And um, the computer tech program was more specialized. So, um, you know, I took all computer science core classes, but my specialization was in web development. So for me, I didn't really know that information systems existed until I got to the university. So in undergrad, you take up computer science, you were doing development work, but you've switched over time to project management. How did you go from developer to project manager? Um, I never, when I got out of school, I was only a developer for the first three years. So I was a SaaS developer for the Department of Labor. I did a lot of SaaS development and .NET development. I really would say that development, even in school or even within the industry, was something that I was passionate about doing. I wouldn't say that I was the best developer. So over time, as I got promoted in the first five years within my career, I decided to go into project management. And I started off pretty much focusing on learning really how to be a good software tester first. So, you know, doing a lot of test cases and test scripts and running tests. So I started off developing, then I got into testing, and then I kind of like got promoted really fast and got into the six-figure category really fast. And then I was able to kind of like, I would accidentally just like, oh, okay, I guess I'll manage developers over the applications that I was really good at knowing how to test. So it was kind of like, I didn't like say, oh, I woke up one day and I wanted to be a, a project manager. It was just like, as I got promoted, more responsibility came and project management was just one of those responsibilities. You mentioned is that, that you hit that six figure life very quickly. And I don't know about you, but I have been seeing a lot of people talk about getting six figures by working in tech. And I know that you tweeted, normalize telling the truth about making six figures for a career in business. Stop making it look sexy. It's work. So let's talk about it, girl, and dive into it. What do you mean by that? What I meant by that is that we have gotten to a place within social media that we, especially as Black people, we think that you know, if you don't make six figures that you you think you're better than other people because you make six figures within your business or within your career. But there's so much work that goes into developing your career to make six figures. You know, I mean, I was very motivated. I was a hustler. Like I was like, yeah, I'm a mover and shaker. So, you know, before the age of 30, yeah, I hit six figures. You know, I started out with like my first job making 55000 So I set up a five-year plan to say every year I'm getting a $10,000 raise so I can get the six figures. So for me, I set out certifications. I did a lot of training. You know, I really became a student of my career and I built a personal brand in tech before personal branding was cool so I could, you know, get to six figures. But I don't like the idea that people think that six figures is going to automatically just click and just come in tech or within their business, there's so much foundation and work that we have to do to get to that point. And we have to become experts and we have to get certifications. We have to constantly be, learn. And think, people think because they get a degree or they just get one certification that that means that they qualify 
to fall into the six-figure category within the technology industry. And I believe that the more you learn, the more you earn. So it's not a lazy approach of like, oh, I got this. I could check this off the box. Now I'm going to ask the employers to just give me six figures. So I was just basically trying to teach people that it's about doing the work to get into the six-figure category. And you know you dropped a gem right there. The more you learn, the more you earn. Yeah, that's my philosophy is that you cannot ask for more money until you feel like you have put in the work to learn the new skill sets, the new cutting edge technologies, keeping up with the trends. Even though I'm not a developer, I still have the AWS Solution Architect certification. I have the AWS Developer Certification. I still take training online to be able to understand how to interact with my developers when I'm working, when I'm managing development projects or cloud computing projects. So for me, it's like being a hybrid, right? Like you you can be a developer and that's all you're known to be. But I try to at least understand the technologies from a theoretical standpoint. So when I'm communicating with them, that I, I understand what they're talking about. And I think that is for me is every year is like, I got to get it. I get a certification like every calendar year. Ooh, that's some good advice. I never thought of it that way of getting a certification every year. I mean, for me personally, I do have certifications, but every, I don't know if I would say I get them every year. Yeah. So every 12 months, my advice for people that really want to stay in six figures, want to go beyond six figures. Some of my clients, they, they have gone beyond a hundred thousand in the 200,000 range is that they have mastered the art of one, having a phenomenal LinkedIn profile and resume, but also keeping up and saying, okay, what is the hottest new programming language or, or what is the hottest new certification to get and set out a plan for, you know, nine months, 10 months to get that certification. We all busy, but if you can't get one certification every calendar year, you're not really ready to have the mindset to stay in this industry. Because it's a lot of learning. <laughs> There's a lot of learning every day. Things can change in an instant. I think we should have learned that from 2020. And Kanika, there was a tweet that came out and it was talking about six figures. And I want to dissect this with you because using your career coach hat, of course. Mm-hmm. So the comment was that if you are three years out of college, that you should be in a position to get six figures. Do you feel like that's true? I do. I do. I feel like the landscape of the people that took the traditional route with getting a college degree, it has slightly changed. I have clients that are coming out of my career coaching practice with $75,000 job offers. So you think about it. I have a guy, he's 23 years old. He's less than 25 years old. His first job was with Fannie Mae and he got a job offer for $75,000. So he's like only one year into the game. If he really strategically play the game right and he gets more certifications, he already has about three three certifications um, and he didn't go to college. He went into like a one year tech program. If he is able to get more certifications and he has three, if he has 24 months under his belt and he, he, he really markets his experience correctly on his resume Getting to 90,000 should be easy, right? Getting to 95,000 should be easy within a three-year period because you put in three years of work and you should have been earning more knowledge and more certifications to 
to validate that you're ready for the six figure category. So I 100% agree. I have clients that have went from 75 to um, 115, you know, in a matter of less than two years, but they actually did the work that I'm talking about. And for my listeners and making sure that we are being 100% transparent with them, what roles were your clients in that were getting to the six-figure level? The young man, black young man, he is focusing on cybersecurity. He has like CompTIA, um, CYSA. He has a lot of Splunk certifications. He has a lot of Security Plus. His first job is in a Fortune 500 company. So like leveraging the brand of your employer <laughs> helps you get to six figures. If you're working for big companies like, or you're working for Microsoft, or you're working for you know a lot of these amazing companies that some of us desire to work for or have worked for, you can leverage their name with your name and with the experience that you gain to ask for more money. That's another thing that people don't don't do. I'm not a big fan of telling people to work for the big companies just to make six figures because a lot of the companies don't care about us. But the companies that do care about us, then it's an amazing opportunity to put that on your resume. And if you want to go to a smaller company in your second or third role, once you get into six figures, then that can help you too. The other client, he was focused in on becoming a cloud engineer. So he has AWS Solution Architect associate the professional he has the cissp he has he has a lot of certification this particular black man makes 150 dollars an hour wow so he's in the three close to the 300,000 category but he was someone that was one of my first coaching clients that we met at deloitte when i was working at deloitte as a senior consultant and he i just mentored him and now he makes more money than I make, you know, so. So Kanika, I have a question in regards to a comment you made about leveraging the company that you're working for. For people who might not understand what that fully means, let's just give them a couple examples of how you can leverage the company that you're working for, especially if it's a big name. Okay. Awesome question. That's an amazing question. Cause I think that I, I use leverage in a way that means like, hey, let's benefit off of them being a big name company. So that's, there's a few things you guys can do to leverage off of a big name company. You can leverage their training budget. <laughs> they have an amazing training budget because they're a big company. So you have access to using their money to get your certifications, to learn new skill sets, to go to conferences, to um, meet other people. Um, the next thing you can do that can leverage that brand's name is really leaning into finding mentors and leaders that could help groom you because these people that work for these amazing companies, they're super smart. They're super marketable. They've been around for some time and you can build your team of mentors and you can, like I say in my book, you can network like a hustler by by learning from the people that have been in the company longer than you to see if you can learn new things that could help your career, but also help your personal brand. So that's one or two things. And the last thing you can do is it's important for the for uh, black people that want to work at the bigger companies to figure out how can they globally travel on the company's dime, right? You get this uh -huh. exposure and unique experiences by when COVID-19 is over with and everything goes back to normal, 
there are going to be opportunities for you to, to go to different places that you've never been before, to meet people that you've never met. It's important that we have unique experiences for our career that is just outside of the cubicle or outside of our home office. So those things are added values to your LinkedIn profile, to your resume, to the things that you share with your peers and your family and friends about your experiences at work. Yes. And Kanika, along that same vein, your whole philosophy on dating jobs, you have this flawless way of describing how you should date jobs and and how to maximize them. So let's give it to the people. Let's give it to the people. So my idea of how, especially Black professionals and people, Black folks in tech and minorities in tech can date jobs is we're out here sometimes staying in jobs too long. Some of these jobs are toxic. Some of these relationships are toxic. They've been over. Some of these career relationships, they've been over for some of them. Some of y'all. So I think that we should change our mindsets and we should build our brand by dating jobs. It's the same way when we meet people that we've dated in the past or in, in relationships. You know, we have to look at jobs like friends with benefits. What are we getting out of the job that's going to help our career, help us being compensated fairly, help us leverage our new skill sets? And when we no longer feel like we're getting what we need out of that job, it's time to move on and date another job. And I'm not saying I'm, this is not, I'm not trying to tell people to be like, uh, speed date jobs, um, you know, stay at a job for two months and leave. No, I'm saying that we should be having healthy relationships with jobs. And when they become unhealthy, we should not be subjecting ourselves to being in toxic relationships. So we should be breaking up with those jobs or when we feel like we've outgrown the job, the job is really good to us, we're ready to go to the next level. We should definitely focus in on finding jobs that are going to benefit us as much as they're benefiting from our expertise and knowledge. Right. And I know you have your three E's <laughs> and I want you to dig into those a little bit because for me, what your concept for dating jobs also goes into the three E's. So the first thing is, is when you're dating jobs, I I look at the three E's as your brand's edifiers. These things are the things that identify who you really are. So you have your education. That is your, your traditional college degree. If you went that route, if you got, you know, hands-on bootcamp experience, that is, that identifies your brand. Um, Then you have experience. That's when you transition from being a cool geek to a corporate rebel, which is like, now I have all this education that I've built up. Now I'm moving into being a corporate rebel and I have developed experience. So that's professional experience that you have developed and you have been working for five or more years or five or less years. I believe that corporate rebels are people that have been working for five or more years, just to make, just to clarify that. And cool geeks are people that have been working less than five years within the tech industry. And you build this experience over different experiences that you have with dating jobs. If for two years you're at company X and then another two years you're at company Y, you're building experience for your resume and you're being able to develop these different relationships and you have projects and experience to actually vouch for what you learned in that in those different roles. And then the last thing is, you know, dating jobs gives you this unique exposure that you wouldn't get 
You know, when I dated one guy, I got this type of unique exposure and and he turned me on to like this type of restaurant or this type of trip. You become an expert by dating different jobs and having unique exposure from the things that you get from those jobs. Amazon may give you a, a different type of exposure that's going to be different from maybe a HP or a Dell or Google or a federal government agency. As you date these different jobs, you develop a level of expertise and knowledge based off of the things that you've been exposed to at work and through projects, through experiences, whether they're good or bad. So those are the three E's that I think that really helps cool geeks and corporate rebels be successful as they navigate dating jobs within the workspace. Yes. And I have to quote you on something you said about these corporate jobs. Because this spoke to my spirit. You said, I've been breaking up jobs. I got corporate trust issues and I am only loyal to myself. Oh, yeah. Let's speak on that. Yeah. These are not the same jobs that our grandparents and maybe even some people's parents were staying in for 40 years. That's just not what happens anymore. Things have completely changed and we need to change that mindset. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, And that's why that's why I came up with the concept of dating jobs and breaking up with jobs, because, you know, we have baby boomer parents. We have Gen Xer aunts and uncles who have been loyal to the job, but the job hasn't been loyal to them. Right. They haven't given them the things that they need to be successful. They haven't treated them fairly. They haven't been compensated um, correctly. So it's important for us to instead of looking for we want corporations and organizations to treat us right, but we should not be surprised when they don't treat us right. If we're loyal to ourselves, the moment that we feel that a company is being disloyal and we try to give that relationship a, a good try, we've communicated with leadership, we've communicated with HR, the moment that that's not happening and we're not getting the results that we think that we need, we should definitely break up with jobs that, that are not being loyal and we should be focusing in on being loyal to ourselves. Exactly. And I hope that everyone listening to this has a newfound respect on how to approach jobs and make sure that we are finding positions that are good for us and that yeah. are beneficial for us as we, we are the prize. Yes. Yeah. The same way that we have a checklist for who we want to date as a human being, we need our own validation checklist of who we're going to date when we get into these our relationships with these different employers. And, you know, I just want to tell people more than anything is vote for you. You voted for a candidate and you decided who you wanted to vote for. You know, now we have a new administration, but you got to be the administration for your own life. For your own career, you got to govern yourself. You have to cast the ballot for your own career that you decide that you want for your life. And that is not up to any political party. You be your own political party. You nominate your own self. We have to run the campaign for our own careers because if we don't, we're going to continuously be disappointed by employers who don't care about us. We have to care enough about ourselves to say, you know what, I'm worth it. And if this is not giving me what I'm worth, then I have to go ahead and gracefully and respectfully, I say fearlessly resign in my book. We have to fearlessly resign and break up with jobs. 
And speaking of your book, I want to make sure that my listeners are aware you are not only a career coach, not only a project manager, but you are an author too. And you have two career books out right now. So let's talk about those. Um, so I self-published my first book, which is Life Rehab. Um, my, my newest book that I'm promoting heavily, which is the latest project that I have, is called Career Rehab, Rebuild Your Personal Brand and Rethink the Way You Work. I think it's a masterpiece, and I'm not just saying that because I wrote it, but I think that the readers are telling me the things that they enjoy about the book. And this book can be found on Amazon.com. You guys can buy it at Barnes and Nobles. You can buy it at Books A Million, at Target. You guys can definitely check this book out. It's a five-star rated book. And everything that we've been talking about on this show is in the book, guys. Yes, yes, yes. Perfect. That I wanted to go back and touch on because you mentioned resume writing as part of what you've been doing from a career coach perspective. What are some of the resume themes that you see that people can improve on? One thing I would want to say is that when you are doing a tech resume and you are a corporate rebel, um, let me just talk to the corporate rebels, people that's been in the industry for some for a few years it's very important to have a really clear and concise professional summary that just, I consider the professional summary, the highlight reel of the resume. Capture them early of like, what are you expert at? You know, what are your core competencies? And what are the things that you're really knowledgeable about? Because they may not read the entire resume because you may have had several different roles. Um, It's important to call out your technical skill sets. Like, what are you specializing at the top two? Um, and then kind of go into your, your experience being clear, concise, and unambiguous and not being repetitive. I think, you know, right now, recruiters and hiring managers, they may not read the entire resume, but they may be looking just for that certification. Call it out. They may be looking for that certain programming language or that certain cloud architecture or that certain Uh, project management certification, just to check the box, just so they can do that phone screening. So it's very important to make sure that you have something that's easy to read, where they don't have to take a whole lot of time reading a whole bunch of bullets, that they can clearly see that you have the qualifications just to start the conversation with you. Yes, yes. You have really long resumes, and they... They're counting themselves out by having like five page resumes. I mean, because we are, I mean, let's be honest, nobody is reading five pages of anything. If it's, <laughs> you know, especially from working, like most people don't have the time. Let's be honest. Right. Especially five pages from like four different people. It's not happening. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's what I would say. Make your LinkedIn profile optimized to the point that people clearly know what you're an expert at. Call it out in your summary. Make sure you list all your certifications. Make sure you list all your skill sets. Because people just really, at this point in tech, when you come to the job interview, you won't be able to tell the story of your experience in that job interview. But just to get into the job interview, they may just be looking for key skill sets or certifications or degrees just to kind of get you in the door. Once you get in the door, then you tell the story of what you accomplished and what you, what type of projects you worked on, what type of products and services you built once you get into that job. And Kanika, you know, I'm going to make you go into detail because a lot of people are throwing around that word LinkedIn optimization. 
And just give my listeners what, like a definition of what that truly means. So LinkedIn optimization means that you have the core keywords sprinkled all the way through your LinkedIn profile. So I'm going to use an example. If you are a cloud, a person that is interested in cloud computing, you need to make sure that you have all of the cloud skill sets in the skill section of your LinkedIn profile. You need to make sure that you are making sure that you add Every time you earn a different certification, whether it's AWS or Azure or or Google Cloud, you need to be making sure that that's called out because when recruiters are looking to find qualified candidates, they are searching by key skill sets and keywords that are focused around what they're looking for from that job description. So they're going to be looking to see those type of keywords in the search results. So if I'm looking for a cloud engineer and I'm looking for someone that specializes in AWS, I got to I got to make sure that when the results page comes back with a qualified candidate that it clearly highlights their knowledge of AWS and the different services, cloud services but it also quantifies with going through their profile from top to bottom, seeing those types of key words and projects and certifications and skills called out from the top of the LinkedIn profile to the end. Because when I see that and I browse through your profile, it makes me feel more confident in reaching out to you if you have those things called out clearly on your profile. And that is great advice. I hope that everyone is taking notes and that you update your LinkedIn based on what Kanika just said to also have the experience that you say. So be honest on your LinkedIn profiles, just throwing that out there as well. Yeah, definitely be honest. And if you don't have the hands-on experience, the best way to get around that and navigate that is to work on projects. So um, have an online portfolio of your projects. You know, you can create a, a simple WordPress, a simple Medium um, blog. Make sure that you, if you're new into tech or you're new into transitioning into a different area within tech, if you don't have that professional hands-on experience, be honest, but also show them, hey, look at my projects, look at my websites, look at my mobile apps, look at some of my blog posts that shows that I can truly analyze and solution different things for that organization that you're applying to. Exactly. Thank you for that advice. And you know what? Speaking on faking it to you making it, Kanika Tolver, if there's one thing that you do not do, you are going to always be you no matter if you are on Instagram, in the office, wherever you are. <laughs> and I want to highlight that about you because I admire it because a lot of people don't have that opportunity. And I want to take a second and just say what advice you have for those listening to be off their authentic selves, especially in the workplace. It's hard. It's hard. And, you know, I want to say that it didn't happen. It happened as I evolved. And I think that's important to know that as we evolve as women, um, as we evolve, you know, as men evolve, I think you just get more comfortable with being your authentic self. And I think the best advice I can give to someone that may be struggling with being authentic at work is when you show up and you are really good at what you do and you are a rock star 
within that expertise and knowledge and that experience and that education that you have, the best way to sprinkle in some of your true self is to show up at networking events, at the office hour parties, at the holiday parties, at the happy hours, because people do want to see a true natural side of who you are. And I think when people believe in your capability of performing, they let their guard down a little bit to say, okay, well, you know, let's talk about family. Let's talk about your hobby. Let's talk about your passions. But I think it's important to make sure that you're not trying to be overly authentic, but you're not performing at work. Right. You know, people say, I want to keep it 100. I want to keep it real. I want to really, really, you know, be um, be myself. They're not going to believe in you being yourself until they believe that you who you were on the resume first. <laughs> right. So when you become a rock star and you become an MVP at work, you have already built trust. You're able to perform. You're able to uh, add value. You're able to solution um, problems. You're able to navigate challenges. You're able to go above and beyond. And then when we let our hair down and we chilling at the happy hour or we at the holiday party, then it's time to say, let me just be a regular human being because I don't have to fake the funk no more because I have built my credibility up at work where now they see that I'm a good person, but I'm also a, a good um, professional as work as well. Exactly. And I think everyone has been, well, I would say from a corporate rebel, like mid-level, senior level, I think every person will say that. I mean, obviously some people go in just, you know, ripping and rearing and like, this is me and you're going to like me or you're not. But for the most part, people grow into this authenticity, right? You have to grow into these environments. And also you need to know who you're working with sometimes before you can show the whole 100. That, that's 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 an amazing point. That's an amazing point. So the way I'm talking to you now, I wouldn't be I would be talking to my VP. I wouldn't be talking to my director. I wouldn't be talking to my manager. But there are times where I'm just joking and laughing, or we're having a good time. But at the end of the day, there's a time and a place for that. So it's all about um, knowing your audience, um, knowing who you're communicating with. You have to communicate and show up through writing. <laughs> through phone, through video, through in person, but you have to do it in a way where people know like she she he or she still means business. They're still trying to get the, at the end of the day, you're there to do a job. You're not really there to be, you know, trying to make a whole bunch of friends. So I don't really do the whole friends thing at work. That's just me. Over time I've kind of came I love my coworkers. I think that they're amazing, but there are boundaries that are set between who who I am at work and who I am outside of work and they just don't get the full full Kanika, you know, because we're not friends. You know, there are times at lunch we laughing and whatever, whatever, but at the same time, they don't need to know any and everything about you to for you to feel like you're being authentic. You're not being fake by not sharing every area of your life. You have to set boundaries. Exactly. And one way that I look at it is like they know the work you. You know, like, and that's still a part of you, but they're not going to know like the, when I'm outside and my bonnet me, <laughs> or they're not going to know, you know, certain aspects of me, but you're still being real because that's the work you, that is your, who you bring to work and who you are as a corporate rebel. Yeah. And corporate rebel means to me is that when things are not right, you speak up. 
when things are, when I say not right, so corporate rebel means when we are solutioning something and I believe that that's not going to work or I believe that current data or past data has shown and that may not work, you speak up. Also, corporate rebel also means that you're not going to tolerate disrespect. You're not going to allow anyone to make you feel less than. They're not going to talk to you any kind of way in the meetings. You're not going to allow people to discriminate against you. So corporate rebel means that, hey, I have a voice. I have expertise and knowledge. I will be heard when it comes to the work, but I also will be heard when it comes to unethical things that are being done within the workplace that I feel that is not right. and. That's just another part of me being my authentic self is standing up for what's right when when the time permits. Exactly. And Kanika, I have a few more questions for you before I let you go. So one thing that I want to touch on is what you call career heartbreaks. But basically, it's a situation that people have been put in, like it could be from workplace bullying, lowball salaries, and you've experienced it yourself as well as the people that you have coached. So I just wondered if you could give maybe a story or two of examples of major lessons you've learned from your career heartbreaks. Okay, that's a really good question. So one of the career heartbreaks that I had was working for a company, a tech company, where I was working for a a white male man. He was a gay man, a gay white man, and he did not like the fact that the client really liked me. And I'm reporting to him, you know, I'm his employee, he's my manager, but he is really being, the the client is really like, man, Kanika's amazing. I'm a project manager at the time, he's a program manager. And it really hurt my feelings that he was talking bad about me because he was jealous that I was a rock star. And he accidentally sent the email to me that he was sending to another manager in the company. And he said in the email, she, she acts like she can't be replaced. Right. So, so, so we got, me and him got into it about something or whatever. And he must was communicating and talking to another leader in the company. So that moment that I got that accident email <laughs> was like confirmation that I was in the, I was in, I was in a, in a bad organization. I was in a place that didn't, like the idea that the cu- the customer that we were supporting was another government agency. I was working for in the private sector at the time and I was still supporting government agencies and they were like giving me, you know, kudos, you know, giving me awards. You know, I was doing what a consultant is supposed to do for the and you know for the for the client. And when I got that email, it was like, oh I gotta go. So I broke up with that job because it was confirmation that that's not where I needed to be because if you're going to talk bad about me to other leadership folks in the, in the company and you don't respect my greatness, then I got to take it somewhere else. I mean, kudos to you for recognizing that because as we know, a lot of people probably would have stayed and for various reasons, <laughs> but wow, I can't imagine getting a email of somebody talking, you know, basically talking shit. And now you caught, did he even try to apologize? He did, but then the company reached out and they said, they knew that the resignation was coming, but I just was kind of like, I'm going to resign when I want to resign. So I stayed around for a couple more weeks or like a month before I resigned, but I already knew that I wasn't going to stay there. And this was actually during the Obama administration. This was when, this was um, Obama's last, his last year in the um, White House. And 
I really enjoy working for the for that particular client. I really enjoy working, uh, you know, for the Obama administration from a you know from doing digital strategy and digital transformation. And I was basically helping you know rebuild all these different um, multi level WordPress websites. And I was leading a technical team. He you know he wasn't even really doing no work. I was doing all the work leading leading the team as the project manager. I think that because I was very strong in my authority of what I believed in, I felt like he was intimidated by that. But he he came back and said, well, no, that wasn't meant. I don't know. I don't even remember what he said. At that point, you know, once you see the email, you don't even care that what the person is going to come back and say or going to even apologize. Because at that point, you're like, oh, okay, you are who I thought you were, like, whatever. So it mm-hmm. hurt my feelings, but it also was so, it was a blessing because it was like, yeah, it's, it's time to pull up. You know, yeah, it was like the breakup before the breakup. It was like, you know, how you've been in a relationship with somebody, you kind of know y'all about to go break up, but you just waiting for the person to say they don't want to be with you no more. That email just basically, basically let me know that the relationship with that job was over, right? I knew it was coming to an end, but I just didn't know when. <laughs> but oh, girl, don't the Lord work in mysterious ways because he'll always let you know when somebody at that job acting up behind your back because I've had it happen multiple times. Yes. yes. And you got to lean into the truth. And, and when God exposes the truth to you, you know, follow his will because his will is better than you trying to follow your own and staying at a company that don't want you there. Exactly. And that's how some people get stuck. It's just not accepting that truth. Right. Yeah. Or being scared. I think people have accepted that their jobs are crappy, but the lack of the lack of confidence, there's fear that comes from taking that leap of getting another job. You know, there's some fear that comes along with that. But that's why career rehab is all about transforming your mindset. You know? Yes. I think people forget about that from a career perspective. Is It is a mindset, right? Like you said, your mind saying, I need to stay at this crappy job, even though it's not a fit for me anymore. Or, you know, it's also that fear of going into a new space and trying to rebuild relationships and learn new things. I think that scares people and rightfully so. It does. It does. And and I'm not saying that I've always been this way. I am, you know, extrovert. But I would say that when you build relationships, when you're trying to find a job, you need to vet that company out because building those new relationships is easier when you're in a company that actually promotes diversity and inclusion, that actually wants you there. See, the company experience is should not be put on the employee. We need to put it back on the company. The company should be welcoming professionals into the organization and they should feel good. And when they feel good coming in there, They'll be willing to build those new healthy workplace relationships. But if the company is not making you feel good about joining, then you're not going to feel comfortable about dating jobs. That is true. We need to be putting this back on these companies. And I want to talk about personal branding. And we've mentioned that a couple times. And I want to have people understand how does someone get started with identifying what their personal brand is and how do they do personal branding? That's a really good question. So personal branding used to get frowned upon at one time, right? Because you're focusing all on you, 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 you. Like it's not, it's like now it's like the new, the new thing, right? Professionals feel actually empowered to have a personal brand. The first thing to do when you're actually trying to build your personal brand is I always say for professionals in the, in the career space, 
because um, I can talk about how I built my personal brand outside of my job. My job is a part, you know, my career is a part of the personal brand, um, but it doesn't make up everything for me. The first thing that you should do when you're building a personal brand as a professional is the foundation is to have a rock star resume and LinkedIn profile. Um, after you have that foundation, you need to figure out how to be able to come become a expert and a thought leader in your field and showcase that online. So you can be as simple as blogging, writing articles, um, doing a YouTube channel, having a podcast show, or becoming a speaker or becoming an author of a book. Your personal brand expands as you show people through you know these digital platforms what you are knowledgeable about. Even if it's your business, you are the CEO of a business, you still need to market your digital products and services. You may need to market your company. So you need to like have your own brand first. So then when you introduce your company brand, people can believe in it based upon the foundation that you built um, by knowing things. Uh, For me, I started off with just Writing for Glassdoor, you know, I did a lot of free writing for Glassdoor. Um, I, I blogged a lot. I did career coaching. So my brand was invested into other people's lives. So that would say those are a few things that you can do. Don't try to do everything. Pick one or two avenues of how you want to distribute your information and just be consistent. And just to reiterate, some of those avenues are what you mentioned before, blogging, podcasting, public speaking, and also to talk about when you mentioned that people used to shame you for personal branding, I completely understand because I remember back in the day when I was starting out and being that I didn't have any people who worked in tech in my close community at the time, I was like, okay, I'm going to start personal branding because at that time, remember when all the Kardashian crap first came out? And, you know, they doing all this branding because we know Chris Jenner don't stop working. And I was like, I'm going to start branding like that. And my friend used to make so much fun of me about like personal brand. What do you need that for? Well, he got a personal brand now and he ain't saying nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we can learn a lot. You know, even in the book, I talk about a lot of celebrities and career rehab. I talk about Beyonce, Jay-Z. Um, I talk about, you know, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey. We could actually learn a lot from uh, people that have personal brands that we admire. If we actually took, I, I studied them, right? Because they, Kardashians included, they have become experts at getting people to believe in what they're amazing at doing. If we did that for our careers, we would be unstoppable. If we did that for our businesses, we would be unstoppable, but it starts with, you know, instead of sweating them, how about we invest in our own brands and we develop our own selves and just be consistent at marketing ourselves? Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? This is a great note to end on. So I do have one final question for you, Kanika. Sure. So I know that your theme for 2021 is <laughs> transactions over distractions. What does that mean to you? So 2020 was, uh, I'm going to go back to my, my 2020 theme, uh-huh. was um, execution over expectations. That was uh-huh. my 2020 theme, meaning that I was going to execute, but my expectations was going to be, if it happened, it happened, but I'm going to execute anyway. That's how I felt 2020. 20, now that I feel like I've been consistently executing and 
my expect I've exceeded my expectations because I was consistent in executing. My 2021 theme is transactions over distractions. And I mean this, and I want everyone to feel this when I say this, is that we're not getting to the places that we want to get to in our career and in our business. And a transaction could be a job offer. A transaction could be for your business. It could be for a new book deal. It could be for a new house. It could be for whatever you guys desire that you want. Transactions are not happening for us in our lives is because we're distracted by watching everybody else. We are distracted by self-comparison. We are watching other people do things that we want to do, but we're too scared to do it. And it's becoming a distraction in our head, in our thoughts, in our confidence, in our ability to execute. But what if we decided that we were going to focus in on winning that transaction that we wanted for our life and we were going to stay laser focused on whatever God has for our life or whatever we desire or want it for our life. The transactions may go through. There may be some setbacks. It may be incomplete. It may not happen how you want it to happen, but it's going to happen if you stop being distracted by watching and you get to working. And so Kanika, just to review, we talked about your nine to five role as a project manager, as well as your role as a career coach. Are there any final words that you want to give my listeners? Uh, I want to thank you so much for this is amazing interview, amazing questions. Thank you so much for having me on your uh, podcast show. My last final message to us is that let's do a few things. Let's find ways to dominate our depression. You know, this has been a very bad year for us, guys. And I get it. I've had some discouraging moments, but let's dominate our depression. The second thing I want you to guys to, to figure out a way to do is to reverse your stress into success. And what I mean by that is, is finding new ways to lean into your passions, your gifts, your talent, talents. Um, taking that energy to be successful at doing something that you love, taking that stress and doing something that you would thrive in. And then the last thing is I want you guys to turn your anxiety into accomplishments. So what I mean by that is I want you to turn that anxious energy, those anxious thoughts, those feelings and emotions of, of, of having anxiety into accomplishments. Learn a new skill set. Do your resume over, update your LinkedIn profile, spend that time expanding your network, listen to podcast shows just like this show so you can gain more knowledge to be better in the new year. But sitting and being anxious is not going to help you get closer to that goal. So I want you guys to be so successful, but I think we have to figure out how to deal with our mental health to get to that level of success that we want. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast on all social media outlets under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you enjoyed today's episode and want to make sure that you never miss a new episode, please subscribe to the podcast on the platform that you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It'll help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.